guys. Welcome to church. Thank you guys so much for being willing to make the uncomfortable adjustment of changing seats. I know how scary that can feel sometimes. We are creatures of habit by far. Um, and if you're here with us and you haven't been a part of what, we, uh, what we've what we been doing uh, in this series, we started a new series a few weeks ago called Simplify. And the point of, uh, of our series is that we are, we're talking about as disciples, the goal in our life is to keep things simple. And this is the goal. As a disciple of Jesus, Jesus needs to be in control of every area of your life. That's it. Super simple. And, uh, and we started by going through the, the greatest commandments. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And uh, we're going to be transitioning here a little bit today. But, but I just want to say first how proud I am to be a part of this church. Specifically here in the desert, but, but I think just a part of our church kingdom-wide, ch- worldwide. Because I really do believe that we are really fighting to live out discipleship in all its facets in every way. I mean, from those that were, that were out in Mexicali yesterday. You know, there's, some, there's a group of our disciples that are still out there today for church to serve the needs of, uh, of our brothers and sisters that are there and the poor and needy in Mexico. Um, you know, we got, uh, we got the teens that are, that got to go out yesterday to the, uh, the LA Winter Formal and get to build some relationships and some fellowship with the, with the greater church. Um, you know, the, being involved in each other's lives. You know, last night we, we started our, our first, uh, mental health support group meeting and there's just so many different things like that that we do as a church that I just, it makes me so grateful to be a part of what God is doing here. Uh, because this is the lifestyle. And there's a lot of areas of discipleship that we are trying to live out together. Uh, and so like I said, you know, we started out focusing more inward on the stuff of the greatest commandment. And now we're, we're moving on to an old church song that we used to sing. Take the Lord with you, children. On the streets, in the homes, on the job, and all alone. Highways. Byways. Highways. Byways. Yes, yes, you know the song. Uh, but we're talking about areas of our life that Jesus needs to be present and ruling over. And today, what we're going to be talking about is a simple home. All right, let's say a word of prayer. God, I want to thank you so much again for the opportunity to, uh, the, 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 Father, ultimately that you just, you are big, you are so big in our lives. I'm so grateful for everything that James and Wendy shared and specifically about the cross and uh, and as we, we struggle through the life that we are in, God, that, that turning our attention to the cross, turning our attention to Jesus is always going to be the answer. And I really pray that right now you will clear out the distractions, the things that will pull us away from you and your word and help us to fully engage with you right now. Speak through me in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So today we're going to camp out in Ephesians 5. If you've got your Bible, you can start turning there. But, uh, but, you know, Paul does something in the book of Ephesians that he doesn't really do in most of his writings. He takes the concepts of discipleship and living like Jesus. Uh, he normally, when, he, when you see it in a lot of his letters, he's, he's either addressing specific things to the churches or kind of general concepts of righteousness. You know, thinking spiritually, our relationships with one another, kind of more the overarching topics. And, uh, and in Ephesians, specifically in, in uh, 5 and 6, he basically just comes knocking on our front door and addresses what being Christ-like is supposed to be at home. He just comes kicking through the door saying, alright, being like Jesus matters at home. And I don't know about you, but this is personal. 
You know, I, I really want this to be an encouraging lesson, and I, and I really hope it is, that you feel built up, you feel inspired to really to examine your home. But there's also part of it that is, it's, it's a little vulnerable to talk about what goes on at home, huh? You know, anytime someone comes into our homes to help us with anything, it's personal and intimate. You know, you think about it, even if you invite like a carpet cleaner, or a repairman, or, or, or somebody that does pest control. Like there's a part of you that you just, there's a little bit of insecurity about what they're going to see in your home. You know, you think about times that your house has been in a complete disaster or disarray, and the thought of somebody coming over to your house in those moments just makes you feel shame. <laughs> Especially if you're like me. You know, even like only cracking the door for an Amazon package. Like you're just, just, you know, no, just don't. Don't look. Don't see what's behind me. It's because this is where life gets real. You know, think, forget just even your house. Think about somebody seeing your bedroom. If you're like us, whenever company comes over and we haven't really had a chance to clean up the house, the bedroom is the dumping ground. That's where you just kind of pick everything up, shove it in there, close the door, and pray they don't know how much of a filthy human being you are. And my daughter has actually already learned how to do this at five years old. She's done that at times like that where I open, like, go to like open the door and she's like, yeah, dad? No, 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 no. It's great. It's all, it's all good back there. Because we know that there's something about our homes, our, our rooms. It's personal. It's intimate. It, it exposes some things about us. You know, on a spiritual level, being like Jesus as a disciple means Jesus has got to rule in our homes. And it's one thing to show up and wear Jesus at church, dress up well. And it's a whole other thing to open your front door or the door to your bedroom to see if Jesus is there too. Think about it this way. This is a good little analogy for us. If Jesus is the king of the kingdom, then our homes, what they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be little embassies of his kingdom. Where people come into our homes and see a small version of the bigger picture. Alright, let's get into the Bible. Ephesians 5. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to mention even what disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That's so true. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stop there. So I know there's a lot there in those verses. All right, we're going to pull this apart here. i got two points for us today. Point number one from this passage is Jesus and closed doors. You know, as we went through these verses, Paul spends the majority of this part of the chapter discussing who we were and who we are now. And he brings up a major theme of righteousness and salvation that's throughout the Bible. The concept of light and darkness, right? We're all very familiar with this. But this is an incredibly rich description. You were once darkness, is what he says. He doesn't just say you were once in darkness. He says you were once darkness. Before turning ourselves into the lordship of Jesus, we are darkness. I mean, I'm sure there's even a lot of movies or or lots of imagery that comes into our minds to even consider that concept. You know, and you think, why does God use this kind of an imagery, the light and darkness? You know, when, whenever I, I, I've studied this out and I, and I teach it to other people, I, it always makes me think, okay, what, what comes with darkness? Darkness always connotates fear, insecurity, distrust, a lack of clarity and direction, right? You're in the dark, real darkness, you can't see where you're going, and danger. You know, in darkness, where, where you actually have your, your sense of sight completely inhibited, everything else is on high alert. And it always feels like there's something that's looking at you. Right? I don't know if you guys have ever seen this before, but you have, go home and YouTube it. You can just, I saved, saved it for you to look at it yourself. Uh, I've watched videos before of an African safari at night. And looking at those light, those eyes, shining in the darkness, at any given time at night is an absolutely horrifying experience. Like there's legitimately things that are staring at you that you can't see that want to eat you. Right? My dad actually just told a story years ago when he was on safari in Africa and they got too far out and they were trying to make their way back and walking in darkness back to the camp. He said baboons were the scariest things he'd ever experienced in his life because they would just come charging through the brush at you you're not knowing what you're going to see. So they got guns out. And just a baboon would stop three feet in front of them and just go, ah, and then run back into the bushes. <laughs> That's horrifying. Okay? So I want you to think about that. When, when Paul says, before we are Christians, you are darkness. You're everything that's fearful, insecure, all that stuff. That is who we are in our lives without God. And he says, now you're the light of the Lord. You think light, you think clarity, security, hope. You can look at what's in front of you and kind of know what direction you're headed in. But Paul says, look, even if you've got the light of the Lord in you, you've got to live like children of the light. And I love even this, this phrase, he says, he says, and you've got to find out what pleases the Lord. What that tells me is that it's not just going to come naturally. You know, not, not as a human being, not just like you just come out of the waters of baptism and you're just like, 
got it all figured out, man. I got God pleasure that what, what pleases him all dialed in. He says, no, you got to figure it out. You got to find out. And really at the core of this, you think he's, he's writing this to a church of Christians. He's writing this to a bunch of disciples. And he's really, I think, at the heart of this, he's trying to urge us to see that being a Christian, being a disciple of Jesus, there's a matter of integrity that we have to wrestle with. You know, the word integrity, the, the best definition I love of it is, is it's who you are when no one's watching. It's who you are when there's nobody else around, the doors are locked, me and God, and that's it. And the goal of this, as a disciple of Jesus, is that who you are behind a closed door at home is the same person who walked into church here on Sunday. That's the goal. And it doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen because, man, you just were really challenged and convicted by what I preached today. We have to be actively searching for what pleases God when we are at home and the doors are locked. You know, Kelsey read a book uh, several years ago that she's probably mentioned to a lot of you guys. It's called Never Be Sick Again. And the, the guy has an interesting take in there. In the story, and I'm not going to get into all the story of it there. But he basically talks about that, that health. Our, our physical health, we are always either moving towards healthy or away from it. Like There's never like an in-between. We're either making decisions with what we eat, what, what we're around physically, our hands being dirty. We're either moving towards health or moving away from it. And I think if you, this is a good analogy to think about if you're a disciple of Jesus. Because the concept can apply. Am I moving towards being more of a light to the Lord or away from it? Does, I'm not like going the salvation line. We've got to be careful with that here. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, but am I moving towards finding out what pleases the Lord and being healthy spiritually? Or am I moving towards darkness? Because that's what he's cautioning against. And again, he's not talking about people that aren't saved. He's talking about people that are. What I read into this passage is that even though you can be filled with the light of the Lord, we can still invite darkness back into our home. And you think about what God wants for us. God, God wants us to be living in security. In clarity, in hope, all the things that, all the good things that come from being in the light. But oftentimes we make choices, we invite things and allow things into our home that bring those things of darkness again. We invite fruitless deeds, as the Bible says here, back into our homes where we think maybe people can't see or it doesn't matter. And we fill our homes with these qualities of fear. Insecurity, distrust, all the things that God wanted to rescue us from, we invite it back into our lives. And he addresses some specific things here in these passages. The deeds of the dark. Specifically, he addresses sexual sin. I know we've talked about that a lot, but, but the damage that comes from making choices to fill ourselves up with impurity. Watching and listening to things that, 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 that don't, that don't create God's plan for what sex is supposed to be. Greed. 
You know, this is an often overlooked thing. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul actually said greed could get somebody kicked out of the church. And, and we tend to think of greed as somebody that's like a billionaire, somebody that's hoarding money and, you know, like not giving it away or whatever it may be. In actuality, I, I was reading this earlier in a commentary. What greed is in its simplicity, it's wanting things more than you want God. Like if that's you, and the Bible warns right here in this passage that it's a form of idolatry, if that's you, you're in danger. If your life is more about getting stuff and and having things that, that go your way like that, then it is about what you give to God or being satisfied in God, then you're in the greed category. It talks about how we talk. It talks about coarse joking, about... Language, you know, earlier in chapter 4, he talks about building others up according to their needs. That what comes out of our mouth, it matters. He talks about alcohol. And it's actually in kind of a funny way, too. He talks about, like, look, don't get, don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't drink spirits. Drink the Spirit. And then the last thing that it's actually kind of tricky, too, is he says folly. He says don't live in an unwise way. And actually, Jesus... Jesus brought this up earlier when he warned. He actually put folly in the same category as murder and thievery. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. Folly can ruin us. Allowing a a, a level of, of undiscipline of making dumb choices, of not encouraging each other just to go to bed sometimes. That just just living that way at home, it says, man, you're not gonna invite, you're not gonna invite the light, you're gonna invite darkness. And to Annie up here, he actually says the risks for tolerating these deeds of darkness, they're serious. Matter of fact, it says, because of these things, God's wrath is coming. Matter of fact, you're at risk. It says those who live like this, and again, keep in mind, he's talking to Christians, not people who aren't saved. He's talking to Christians saying, if you live like this, you won't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. If our homes do not reflect our righteousness, God says, not not he will remove, but we can remove our inheritance, our embassy status in the kingdom of God. When we invite darkness, when we fill darkness in our home, we can take ourselves out of that running. And I'm not trying to bash us or just overly like scare anybody here, but this should kind of stir something. This should get our attention a bit. Now I do want to reassure us though. If we have not been in a great place in our home, we can be. Amen? So even if maybe you may be going on this list, you look at that and it's like, ooh, it just, stuff's popping into your head, you're feeling a little insecure. Let's look at some of the good stuff here. Look at verse 13 again. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why I said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In the middle of his warnings to the church, he's trying to give them hope as well. Like I think I can see Paul saying, look, if, if you've been in this kind of a place, if this is where your home has been, your home life, behind closed doors, man, man you can be, wake up! 
You can be something better. But he says, start by exposing it. Start by dragging it into the light. You know, and that, that concept of, of, of walking in the light, and it shows up a lot in the New Testament, it's not just specifically about if there's obvious sin. I think we can kind of limit it to that. But the idea of being in the light is not about whether or not you've got sin that you're hiding or not. Now, if you, there is sin that you're hiding, yeah, bring that into the light. But being in the light means you can just see everything. There's nothing to the imagination. You know what's there. He's urging the church. There, look, look, we want to be people. We want to be living as children of the light. That There's no reason to question what's going on at home. Even if there's stuff that's not great. You know, you think if you had water damage or rodent or bug infestation, you'd probably invite somebody in your home to help you fix it, wouldn't you? Right? Spiritually, let's put that same play in, that, that same thing into consideration here. If your home has not been a place of light, invite somebody into your life to expose what's there so you can get help. Because God doesn't want us to be in this place of fear, of darkness, of all those things that we're supposed to put away in the waters of baptism. He wants us to leave it there, not bring it back into our home. And he actually says here at the end, I love this. He says, when he talks about don't get uh, drunk on wine, right after that, it says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, man, instead of filling ourselves up with darkness, let's fill our homes with praise. Let's fill our homes with gratitude. And just because you play Christian music at home doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be full of light, but it's a good start. Yeah. Couldn't hurt you. You know, Paul is literally saying to try to help each other to be spiritual, let's sing songs to each other. You know, that'll help to encourage you. I love it when my kids sing songs to me. It encourages my heart. Yeah. And what better than... than in, in my home, then to create an atmosphere of gratitude where praising God is a part of who we are in our home. You know, I, I've shared, I've shared this recently that I started seeing a therapist in the last month. And one of the things that he shared with me a lot is, is how we're constantly, and this is more even about our internal thing, but that we're constantly being inundated with stuff that doesn't help us to think positive. And the same thing goes spiritually, right? He says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So that means Actively, we have to be fighting to fill ourselves up with truth and what pleases God. Amen? Amen. Last point here, Jesus and submission. One verse. You can follow it in the Bible or look at it right here. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm going to read it again. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is not a fun word. This is, this makes me even uncomfortable to share on some levels. Because, I mean, even think about some of the things that are in our culture today right now. You know, I preached this sermon about chapter 5 here six years ago. I found it in my old archives. Six years ago, I preached a sermon specifically about, and talked a lot about this idea of submission. 
And I was just thinking, man, our world has come to a very interesting place in six years since I preached this last. Because we don't like submission. And this isn't just about the male-female thing. We're not really going to get into that right now. We don't like submission to authority. We don't like the idea, you know, we don't like the idea of submitting to the government, to the police, to anybody that could be over us in some level. And this isn't just because of the culture we're in either or some political thing. We don't like this because we're people. And the idea of submission is not a fun idea. Because you know what it sounds like to me is submission sounds like weakness. It sounds like being taken advantage of. It sounds like you're going to harm me in some way and I'm just going to let it happen. Anybody else go there in your mind? It got really quiet. I know that this is not a fun topic here, okay? Let's be in it together. This is a righteous thing. In a world that is all about empowerment, right, especially the little guy, the disenfranchised, it's all about empowerment, which is not a bad thing, but the idea of submission can feel outdated or antiquated. The Bible refers to submission in the New Testament 28 times. Nine of them refer to submission to God, two to demons submitting to Jesus or the other apostles, one to work and one to orders, and the rest have to do with our relationships with one another. He uses the word submit specifically four times in just this chapter. And because it's me, we're going to look at the Greek. Hupotasso is the word for submission in Greek. To arrange under, to subordinate, to subject, to put in subjugation, to subject oneself, obey, to submit to one's control, to yield one's admonition or advice, to obey, to be subject. All right. What does it mean? It means to willingly yield to someone else. Submission. Not tapping out like we think of an MMA. Like it's, no, I choose to volunteer myself to you. It's not out of force, but of our own will and decision. And interestingly enough, when you, to really consider even some of the, the atmosphere that Paul's writing, Paul was likely writing this letter and talking about submission while he was in prison. He was chained to a Roman soldier for his faith, being ruled by a tyrannical government and a leader that oppressed Christians and lit them on fire in the streets. And he's saying, be submissive. And you know what? He's not talking about gender. He's not talking about job titles. He's not talking about socioeconomic status or age from this picture. In this verse, as we look at it right now, all he is saying is to one another. And this takes relationships to a whole new other level. Doesn't it? How many of us like that idea? Nobody, right? Not really. Think about how many worldly movies talk about giving other people the power. Don't do that. You don't give them the power. You keep the power. 
You know, I asked my wife to tell me her thoughts about the beginning of this passage. And she had something really good to share. You know, she said, submission to God is about trusting God. If you trust God, you yield to his power and control. And this is a really good thing. I'm sure none of you are probably like really shaking your heads like, no, I don't want to do that. You know that this is a good thing. In James 4, 7, James says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That submission to God is, it's important. But I want to demonstrate this here because this is our sinful nature at play. Okay? The idea of submitting ourselves to God, we get that. This is a good thing, right? But the idea of submitting ourselves to people, how dare you? (laughs) Who do you think you are? But there's probably something that we, that we miss out of this passage, because we really have a hard time with this. Because we think about submitting to people as slavery or control rather than trust. And if you don't trust someone, you're not going to submit. But what Paul is trying to help us understand here is that you don't trust people because you are deserving of trust. I don't submit myself to you because you've earned it from me. Or vice versa. He says we submit to people because of our reverence for Christ. What that means is it means if I will choose to submit myself to you because I trust Jesus and I trust that ultimately he's the one that's in control. That's where submission... Not one of you have earned my submission. But he did. So because I submit to him, I can submit to you. You don't trust people and submit to people because you don't trust Jesus. It has nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. And I want us to keep in mind here, we'll bring it back to our point. Paul is setting this up to try to adjust our relationships at home. Our relationships with one another. So what does this mean? We just walk around doing what everybody else says or what is best for everybody else? I just submit to you all day every day and that's it? No, that's not at all what he's talking about. Paul uses this verse to set up some examples right after this. Alright? Paul addresses a marriage relationship and a parenting relationship specifically. Now, I have so much to say about these verses. So much to say. I have sermons that I've written. I've studied chapter 5 so thoroughly, we don't have time to really get into this. (coughs) My timer won't allow me to do it. And I know that really there's a lot of things in here that are very taboo for our current culture. The idea of talking about wives submitting to their husbands, that's a scary thing to kind of bring up nowadays. But I do want to give a brief overview of some things here that can help us even think about the practicals of submission. Amen? And hopefully, you'll go and study these yourself. For a wife, right after this, Paul says that what submission of a wife to their husband is, is submitting to the leadership of their husbands. And trusting that Jesus is going to use them to lead the family closer to God the way that Jesus would. 
Again, it's not about necessarily submitting to the man. It's submitting to Jesus and their leadership. And on the flip side of that, husbands are, are what we're supposed to submit to is the needs, the holiness, and the love of our wives. And don't make no mistake, it's a matter of submission. Don't ever, don't ever take our eyes off of this verse. The submission of a wife to a husband's leadership has nothing to do with positional authority and making decisions like a dictator. It has everything to do with Jesus' version of leadership. Servant leadership. He elaborates on this a lot, talking about Jesus is willing to lay down his life in his version of leadership. His version of leadership had very little to do with what he wanted. It had everything to do with meeting the needs of his church. And that's the deeper connection. Paul actually says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking not about marriage. I'm talking about Christ in the church and the way we submit to one another. Lost my place. Give me a second here. So now some questions to even throw out there. Men, are you easy to follow? Wives are you, wives and women, are you easy to lead? That's what Jesus is trying to get at with submission. In that part. Then he says, for the children. Children are supposed to submit to the obedience and honor of our parents. And the interesting thing there is that Paul never puts an age on it either. He doesn't say, children, obey your parents in the Lord and honor them for this is right until you're 18. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right and honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. And it is a long life. Consider the difference then. If in this relationship of submission, Paul is telling you not just to obey, but to honor your parents. What that might mean. And it relates to our physical parents, but it could also be to our spiritual parents too. You know, I want to honor, I want to honor those of you that are older in the faith than me. You're a spiritual parent to me. You know, I don't really get impressed by young Christians. I'm encouraged by them, but I'm impressed by the older Christians that have taken their licks and they're still going. I want to honor you guys in the way that I treat you, talk to you, and love you. You know, for the parent relationship, it says that we are submit to bringing up our children in the training and instruction of the Lord. Not to submit to making sure our kids have a 4.0, or are good at athletics, but we're just supposed to submit to righteousness in our parenting. And if you're not a parent, and I don't want the single people in the room to check out because we're talking about parenting and, and marriage, this relates to you too. Man, if you're not a parent yet, you can mentor somebody. You can be a spiritual parent. Part of the reason why I am here right now is because of a college-age brother when I was in high school that on his own volition decided to invest in a friendship with me. Nobody told him to. Nobody asked him to. He ended up taking me to my first concert. I got to go on a first double date with a college sister because he set it up. I mean, it was an awesome relationship. And I didn't even realize it at the time, but his friendship saved my soul in high school. These relationships are huge. 
You know, and these relationships in our home, they're big to address. But outside of these verses, submission to one another shows itself in a lot of other specific ways. Submitting to other people's wisdom in our lives. Through advice and openness. It says, man, if you want to be successful, have many advisors because your plans are going to succeed. You know what that takes? Submission. It means being willing to humbly ask for advice and then being willing to humbly listen. Submitting to each other's needs. And the New Testament is full of this. Just before this in Ephesians 4, it talks about speaking truthfully to one another. That I know your needs and I'm willing to tell you in love what's going on. Building others up according to their needs. It says that it may benefit those who listen. That what comes out of our mouths, I'm aware of the effect that I have on other people with what I say. That I'm submissive to your needs. In Romans, it even goes so far, Paul goes so far as to say, man, I'm not even going to eat food that's going to make you struggle. Because I'm submissive to your needs. Last but not least, the fun one, Hebrews 13, submitting to your leaders. Those that God has put over us. Submission shows up all over the place. But the point of all this is this is going to the home. You know, I want a simple home. I want a home where it's evident to people when they walk through the door of our house that Jesus is king of it. But this is not a destination. This is a journey thing. That I have to be moving towards being a child of the light when I'm at my home and away from being a child of darkness. And when I'm moving away from this, man, I want to be humble enough to invite someone in to expose the darkness so it can be full of light again. At the core of it, this is what God wants for all of our homes, to be a reflection of Jesus and be a place that when we go home, man, we are full of light. We're full of security. We're full of clarity. We're full of peace. Not because everything is in order. It will never be. I'm learning a lot about this right now at home. Because having three kids and a newborn, man, it's it's tough. There's this thing I saw out there that said, look, you can have me clean, the kids clean, or the home clean, and not all three. I'm having to learn right now that that as part of even me submitting to the, submitting to the needs of my wife, that I need to make sure that I set up time for my wife to be able to go and just get time with God uninterrupted without a baby. Amen. That's challenging. It challenges my selfish nature. But again, our two things here for a simple home are that Jesus is still king at your home even when the doors are closed. That we're moving towards being children of the light and not children of darkness. And the last thing there is that we're submissive to one another. We're submissive to each other's needs, to each other's input, to each other's help. We're submissive that if maybe our own home is not in the place it needs to be, we're submissive to those outside of our home that want to help our home to be full of light. And that's the road to being a simple home with Jesus. Amen. Love you all.